0: Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you and your life. Let's join together for prayer and ask God to bless our time together. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness and mercy, and we praise You for another opportunity to open Your Word. And Lord, we just praise You and thank You that You've brought us for another day into Your house, a place where we can grow closer to You, that we can grow in our understanding of how to live for You. And Lord, that You would uh, encourage us and strengthen us and bolster us as we go out into this world to serve You and and to live for You. In Jesus' name we pray. amen Amen. turn with me once again to the book of ephesians the book of ephesians now we've been uh in the book of ephesians for quite some time and we've been looking at the different aspects of uh our life and we've come to the point in which we're talking about being in a spiritual battle Uh, we've progressed all the way through on what does it mean to be a Christian, what does it mean to be a child of God? We looked at all the things that God does for us to to help us to live for Him and to walk in the light and and uh, to walk in Jesus Christ and to be a child of God. And, and then uh, we come now to this last part where uh, it talks about all of that put together meaning that we need to understand that we are Uh, in a battle against spiritual forces. We're in a battle against uh, those uh, forces of darkness. And Ephesians chapter 6, it says, uh, "...wherefore take unto yourself the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth." and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we've been looking at these different aspects of the of the armor of god we've been uh, we 've talked about the uh, belt of truth, and we talked about how uh, it is really uh, uh, talking about a uh, this belt is about being prepared for battle going uh, making a commitment for battle it, it goes harkens back to the Israelite understanding of girding your loins of being able to uh, to, to get ready for physical. Uh, a battle to get ready to engage the enemy and then uh, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness and and talked about how uh, the breastplate was uh, what uh, protected our uh our heart and our loins, which was the seat of our emotions and the uh, seat of our thought is the understanding of the Israelite at the time uh, that the heart was a place where uh, we had our thoughts. Uh, 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 We talk about believing in our heart in Jesus Christ. We don't talk about uh, Jesus Christ coming into our brain Uh, That would be our understanding. We talk about Jesus Christ coming into our heart because that's uh, where we decide uh, about giving our heart and life to Jesus Christ. And then uh, our loins being the place of emotions. Uh, uh, Throughout Scripture, it talks about how uh, whenever someone was... uh, distraught because of someone passing away and and it said that their uh their bowels moved their loins moved and so uh, that's the mentality of the of the person of this uh, day and age of the day and age in which paul lived was uh the heart and the loins was the place of uh of thought and emotions and and so uh The breastplate of righteousness was to cover uh, those two vital organs, those vital places. And then uh, we talked about um, not only the uh, belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, but uh, uh, feet shod for the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that was all about uh, being able to stand and being able to dig in. and uh, Just like a football player or or a baseball player, needing the proper foot attire to be able to to dig in and be able to go out and, and do their very best in uh, sporting competition. Uh, the soldier had to have uh, good footwear to be able to, to march and to be able to go into uncertain terrain but also above all else to be able to stand and withstand in the time of of battle and, and we as Christians are to stand in uh, uh, the peace of God that gives us uh, 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 our understanding of righteousness and our understanding of His presence in our life. Then last week we talked about uh, all of those things being kind of like the The uh, uniform of a football player, a uniform of a soldier that has the day-to-day attire, all of those things, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, all of that is what they typically always were ready and uh, wearing all the time. And then when it came time for them to go into battle, they would pick up uh, the next elements, and that was the shield of faith. And uh, today we're going into the helmet of uh, salvation, the shield of faith being uh, the faith uh, that gives us the power to overcome the temptation, faith to overcome the the wiles of the devil, faith to to safeguard us from the fiery darts of the evil one. And so we are in a spiritual battle. And uh, throughout Scripture, we are told of many of those who are, uh, pillars of faith uh, in hebrews eleven there's a whole list of of uh, those who came before that were uh, kind of like the heroes' hall of fame of all of those who uh, had such great faith, but yet each one of those, in in spite of their uh, being able to, or or should I say, in addition to the fact that they were so faithful and they had so much faith in God and and had did incredible things because of their faith, each and every one of them had a point in their life that was extremely demonstrated in Scripture of their failure. Not a one of those heroes of faith were perfect people. Not a one of those heroes of faith were people without some sort of failure to their name. Many times we as Christians uh, feel as though uh, that uh, we are supposed to be perfect and with all the things that we're doing to be prepared and ready for battle and all the things that we're uh, doing to to understand and grow and develop in our faith and develop in our walk uh, we don't talk too much about the time of failure the time in which we uh, disappoint the time in which we slip up but all of us know that it happens all of us know that uh, that from time to time we Uh, We'll lose a battle and we'll lose uh, an engagement with the enemy. We'll uh, concede a certain area of our life uh, over to the temptation of the devil. We'll allow uh, certain things to overcome us. But what we have to remember is, is that along with those losses and defeats, as a Christian, there ought to be plenty of times in which we have the victory we have, uh, we win the battle. We overcome Satan's uh, temptation. We overcome uh, the urge to just give up. We overcome the uh, desire to just throw in the towel, and we are uh, are victorious in our engagement with the evil one. We're victorious in representing Jesus Christ. We're victorious in winning the battle. And we have to remember and understand that we uh, win the ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to look forward to is that ultimate uh, winning of the battle uh, with Jesus Christ Uh, because we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. The helmet uh, is the next aspect that we're looking at. And there's not a whole lot that is said here other than to take the helmet of salvation and much of what we usually do when we look at this uh, these passages of scripture is to is to uh, uh, take it verse by verse and and exp, uh, uh, go through it in a very uh, expositional way, in a way in which we can understand exactly what's being said here. But there's a lot of times, like in this particular verse of things that are not said, they're just assumed and we have to, uh, go from what we learn and understand from other scripture. So, the helmet of salvation. What was the helmet for the Roman soldier? Well, the helmet of uh, for the Roman soldier was something that was uh, indispensable. It was uh, uh, the helmet was uh, a, an aspect of the war, uh, the ser- soldier's armor that they would never go into battle without. In fact, they would uh, they would do everything they could to keep the helmet on. In order to protect them, it was a a way of protecting the most vital part of their body, their head. And so we have to think about uh, the helmet of salvation and how it relates to the Roman soldier and how it relates, uh, how we can then correlate that to the uh, Christian life and the life of the Christian soldier of God and how we need to have. The helmet of salvation. Now, many people will tell you that uh, the helmet of salvation is all about uh, having salvation in your life. And let me just tell you that that is not what it is, because if you waited until this point to get saved, you were getting things woefully out of order if you waited till this point. In fact, uh, you would not be a soldier in the army of God if you didn't have salvation in your life. You wouldn't be attacked by Satan because Satan wouldn't be, he'd have you in his uh, little pocket there. He'd be able to do whatever he wanted to with you. Uh, Really, the enemy for the person that's not saved is God, not Satan. So Satan's not attacking the person that is unsaved. So uh, this is a point in time in which uh, a, you need to understand that this individual that is t- putting on the armor of God is already saved. In fact, we talked about salvation. Back in Ephesians chapter Two, and about what it means to have salvation and uh and the fact that we are coming to to Christ at that point in our study of Ephesians, not at this late point in the in the in the study of ephesians uh, it is uh the helmet was uh, something that that gave protection, it was made of leather and it had some metal on it that was uh, the The helmet was used to uh, deflect uh, the a uh, couple of different types of of attacks from the enemy, first of all, the attack of the enemy the, of of the arrows that might fly in that that would uh, glance off of the helmet and uh, or be protected uh, protect the head uh, with the helmet uh, with the metal components to it, as well as the leather components. Uh, it was uh, primarily a defensive type of of uh, armor for the head for during battle with the sword. Now, this is not the short sword that we were talking about before uh in dealing with uh, a battle the little short sword that was uh, a lot bigger than a a small dagger but it was uh, more thought of as a dagger Uh, this would be the broad sword this long big sword that uh that was so big that had to be used with two hands kind of wielded like a bat uh, in battle and it had of course, very sharp edges and was uh, used to uh, cleave the head of the person in battle, uh, uh, the opponent in battle, take their head completely off. It was uh, used to to impale the, the individual in battle uh, with that broad sword and it was very big, it was very... Uh, heavy, it was uh, very effective. And so the helmet was used to protect and hopefully to cause the, the sword to glance off. Uh, the other type of helmet was, of course, the metal helmet, the the kind of the molded metal helmet that was used uh, primarily in this aspect of of glancing the, the sword off of the top of the helmet, uh, giving uh, uh, a way of protection but it also was used as identification uh, they would put plumage in the helmet to identify the rank and identify the the uh, brigade or or the unit that that individual was all in uh, but it was specifically used to protect against uh, the onslaught of the broadsword helmets were also used uh Uh, as I said, for protection against uh, the arrows. And so the helmet of salvation as a Christian, how do we look at the helmet of salvation in terms of uh, 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 the protection that the Roman soldier received from the helmet in battle? And the helmet of salvation is uh, helping us to understand that, that we are... Uh, saved by God's grace and saved by His love. And there's three aspects of salvation uh, that we need to think about when we think about the helmet of salvation. These three aspects are uh, talking a little bit about salvation in terms of what does it mean. And and, uh, for all of us, we can remember the day, uh, most likely you can remember the day and the moment in which you gave your heart and life to Christ. Uh, Hopefully you can remember that and that it's a part of your life that is a fixed moment in your life where you remember that at that moment, that you had to just give your heart and life to Jesus Christ and you um, became uh, in the parlance of of a Christian of being saved. Salvation is at that point, uh, salvation is understood uh, for the Christian as being in the past, present, and the future. Uh, the past being the time and the moment in which you accepted Christ into your heart and life. You were saved from the penalty of sin. You were saved from uh, uh, the the uh, sin that was uh, causing you separation from God, sin that was causing you to live a life of immorality and uh, 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 a life of being against God, a life that was not in harmony with God but rather was... Uh, at enmity with God, as the Bible says. And so salvation at that point in the past is, is correcting that, that enmity with God, of cor- uh, covering over that, that uh, sin that, that was keeping you away from God, causing you to be uh, at odds with God. Uh, salvation at that point in the past was, was, was a point in which you were no longer against God, It is a time of of freedom from your sin, of confessing Jesus Christ into your heart, of inviting Him into your heart and your life and sin is no longer something that you deal with, but rather that your sins are placed upon Jesus Christ uh, as He died for us on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible tells us that when we accept Christ into our heart and life, uh, that we are crucified with Christ. No longer uh, is it us that lives, but we are living in Christ Jesus. As it says... In Romans, Romans chapter eight, verse one says, "There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Uh, salvation is a freedom." from the penalty of sin and it is a time in which sin no longer has dominion over you. It is a point in time in which you gave your heart and life to Christ and hopefully for every Christian, each one of us remembers. You might not remember the exact date of the year. You might not remember the exact time on the clock, but you can think in your mind uh, the point in which you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ. I remember for myself, I was just a young uh, child. I was in school and I fortunately went to a Christian school in which the teacher taught us about uh, the love of Jesus Christ and taught us about uh, what our life meant and what our future could hold if we would give our heart and life to Christ. And I remember at that moment of of having, uh, dealing with that Uh, Issue in my mind before she mentioned that of wondering what my life would hold and what was the whole purpose of life. And then when she shared with us that our life really began when we gave our heart and life to Christ, it all clicked for me. And I can remember going into a a room across the hall and waiting for her to come in there after uh, all the ones who wanted to uh, talk to her about uh, giving their heart and life to Christ. And I remember her coming in and counseling with me and sharing with me and then I can remember sitting there and praying asking Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins of asking him to wash away my sins and to come into my heart and life I can remember that very moment now do I remember the, uh, the calendar date no I'd have to go look that up but I remember that day of going home and being so exciting and telling my mom and dad about the decision I made I can remember all the details I just can't remember uh, the exact calendar date or the exact uh, moment uh, on the clock when those things happen but I do remember the events very vividly and very clearly and I can tell you uh, that for certainty that is salvation in the past now what's salvation in the present salvation in the present is uh, is uh, Jesus continues to forgive you of all your trespasses for His name's sake and keeps on purifying and keeps on uh, cleansing our heart and life. When we uh, sin against God and when we do things that we know we're not supposed to do, our salvation in the present is God, uh, Jesus Christ continuing to purify our hearts, continuing to lift, our, lift, lift us up. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ intercedes for those uh, uh, who call upon his name he's interceding for us before the father and jesus christ continues to uh, to save us from our sin purifying us keeping us and purging us from our sins romans chapter 8 says who is he that lays anything to charge against god's elect no one is no one is able to because jesus christ is the only sole arbiter of the of of our uh, fate because He died on the cross for our sins. Romans chapter 5 says uh, that we are saved by His death and we are being saved by His life. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 uh, through 11 says, if we being enemies and were uh, reconciled to God, let me go over there and, and read that specifically romans chapter 5 verses 10 through 11 uh, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only so but we also joy in god through our lord jesus by whom we have now received the atonement so we are continuing to be saved. We are continuing to be uh, reconciled with God. We're no longer enemies, but by the death of Jesus Christ, we are being reconciled and being saved in our life by His life. And so we continue uh, to be saved by Jesus Christ. And then in the future, there comes a point in our life when we will be face to face with Jesus Christ. And we'll be, in the future, free from the presence of sin in our life. In the past, we are, are saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, in the present, we are saved from the power of sin. And in the future, we are saved from the presence of sin. Revelation chapter 21 is uh, that passage of Scripture that we've been uh, uh And most recently in the study of revelation and we talked uh at the beginning of the chapter about how uh, uh god casts sin and all the devil and everything that has to do with sin into the lake of fire and then god uh destroys heaven and earth and uh the old heaven and the old earth are cast away and a new heaven and new earth are created where we'll no longer have the presence of sin and there will be no longer the power of sin in the life of anyone, and we will be free completely from sin. In First John chapter 3, it says, "...we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is." He is sinless. He is spotless. He is without flaw. He is without blemish. And frankly, folks, this—all three aspects—are uh, in a more theological terms of uh, these are uh, salvation of justification. We are justified by the uh, the power of Jesus Christ in our life to be made as if we were without sin. Of sanctification, will continually being. Uh, Purified by Jesus Christ in our life. We're being purified in our walk and we're made holy by Him until that day in which we are standing before Him and we are finally glorified, the glorification of the saint in which we come face to face with God and He uh, uh, makes us in the image of Christ where we uh, receive a new body, a new uh, uh, life because we are no longer uh, in sin. In the past, Uh, Sin is done. It's over with. It is completely removed. In the present, uh, we understand and we learn that we can't lose. uh, We're continually uh, made new in Christ Jesus. And in the future, we're guaranteed of an absolute secure life in Christ. Romans chapter 8. Look there with me for a moment, if you will. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says, Uh, this it says for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now and not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body for we are saved by hope but hope that is seen is not hope For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope, for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings, and it cannot be uttered. And so we are... Uh, given a hope in Christ Jesus. We're saved by the hope of understanding and knowing that Jesus Christ takes away our sin and takes that sin and places it upon Himself on the cross of Calvary. We're saved by hope, the hope that God continues to bring us redemption and salvation through the work and the power of Jesus Christ of, of uh of cleansing us and making us uh, pure and holy and the future hope we're saved and the future uh, that that hope of coming face to face with christ and being glorified in his presence and being able to be there and so all of these aspects of salvation are an understanding and a knowledge of salvation that is part of the helmet of salvation we have we have an assurance and a knowledge of the fact that we are saved that we've been redeemed that we've been purified that we've been cleansed uh that we're continuing to live a life of salvation Uh, a life that is free from uh, the penalty of sin. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And so we are uh, in the hope uh, for an inheritance, an incorruptible and undefiled uh, existence that never fades away is reserved for us in heaven and we shall be in His presence uh, for all eternity. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 uh, and following says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through the faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations." that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now not seeing him not, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So we have the hope, the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, the hope of of receiving the glory that's found in Him. And then we have the consummation of a living hope in Christ Jesus. When we, got, uh, when we get to heaven, uh, we'll receive a reward and inheritance. Uh, because of that, we uh, will endure the pain and suffering of this day. We'll endure the effort of uh, running the race in Christ Jesus. We'll uh, continue to press on to the finish line. Uh, the helmet is confidence in the full final Total salvation that comes in Christ Jesus, the confidence that someday the battle will be over, and uh, the fact that uh, we'll once again uh, be protected from discouragement in all that we do and all the things that we face, all the battles that we endure. Discouragement. Nobody can be uh, seen in the Bible more than. Uh, in terms of discouragement than Elijah. Uh, Elijah, uh, of course, was a prophet of God. And you remember, uh, he's most noted about being uh, the prophet who uh, went up to Mount Carmel and called fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And that's that's what everybody thinks about when, when they think of Elijah. Elijah, the one that uh, told uh, Ahab, the king of Israel, that there wouldn't be any rain for three years because of the sinfulness of Israel and the fact that they didn't believe in God any longer, that Ahab and Jezebel had led the people of Israel away from faith and believing in God to believing in Baal, so much so that there were hundreds of, of Baal priests uh, throughout Israel. In fact, there were 450 of them. And finally, Elijah said, I, I, I've had enough of this. We need to determine today, this very moment, who truly is God. And he was led by God to call the, uh, the priests of Baal up to the top of Mount Carmel. And, and they were at the top of Mount Carmel for a reason. It was so everybody in, the, in all of Israel could uh, have an audience at what was going on. In the midst of that drought, he told the... Uh, the prophets of Baal you go ahead and make you an altar and and you choose which bowl you want to use and you build that altar and you uh, you go first you go ahead and and call on Baal the god of lightning to to strike that altar and consume that that uh, sacrifice by causing a fire to come down from heaven they said Easiest pie. This is what Baal does. This is his gig. This is his. He's got this in the bag. He's the god of lightning. This would be the easiest thing in the world to ask Bell to do. So they they sit there and they pray and they call out to Baal and they they go on and on and on for hours and hours and uh, way into the evening. Uh, they're still. A flailing about and they're uh, cutting themselves and they're doing all kinds of things to get Baal to cause lightning to come and strike this altar. Nothing. Zip. Zero. Nada. Then Elijah prays and he constructs and uh, rebuilds the altar of God. He slaughters the bull and puts it upon the the altar, and then he tells them, hey, big, uh, dig a big old trench around this thing and we're going to fill it with water and then we're going to fill it with water by dousing this sacrifice with all this water. Now remember, water is a high commodity at this time because of three years of, of drought. So he's drenching this, this animal with all this water, making it that much more difficult for it to be consumed by fire. Then he prays to God and God rains down fire from heaven, consumes the animal, licks up all the water, and destroys even all the stones that uh, constructed the, the altar of God. I mean, this was like a, a nuclear weapon going off on top of that altar there. just levels everything. And everybody all of a sudden uh, has an immediate reaction, as you and I probably would too. We follow, uh, they fell on their face and they declare that, God, uh, that Yahweh is God, that, that He is God, not Baal. And so what does Elijah do? He picks up a sword he starts slaughtering all 450 of the Baal priests and he's chasing them all over the place, killing them. And all the people are cheering because they're finally back in in team God, you know, and they're uh, they're following after uh, God and approve of all of it. You would think Elijah would be on top of the world metaphorically and physically, being on Mount Carmel there. But then he gets word from Ahab and Jezebel that they're going to do to him what he did to the prophets of Baal. And what does that do to Elijah? Now, does Elijah call upon God who caused fire to fall from heaven to protect him? No. He allows discouragement to get a hold of him. And he runs. He runs and he runs and he runs and he wants to leave his his uh, assistant Elisha behind. Uh, but instead uh, but he continues to run and he continues to uh, not Elisha but he has a, a, a like a valet guy this is before Elisha uh, he he tells him to, to stay behind but he follows after him and and uh, Elijah all along is is exhibiting all the behaviors of somebody that wants to commit suicide but Elisha not going to do that he's going out into the wilderness going out into Beersheba and then even further uh, to go out there and send under a, a sycamore tree and say to God hey if this is what it's going to be like just go ahead and take me out of the world he prays to God hey just take me out of this I, I can't handle this he's so covered over in despair he falls asleep and God sends an angel an angel taps him on the shoulder and says hey get up eat this cake that is over here on the coals and drink this water you got a lot of work ahead of you. He does that and he falls back asleep. The angel comes back to him and says, Hey, does it does it again. Hey, there's seconds over here. Eat some more of this cake over here. Drink some more water. Then God tells him, You've got a lot of work left in you. You've got to go anoint a king over a country outside of Israel. You've got to appoint for yourself a successor in Elisha and uh, another aspect of of work that he's supposed to do. So Elijah understands that God is not done with him. God uh, has work for him to do, and there's lots of others who still bow at the knee of of God and not worshiping and following Baal. But discouragement gives all of us a trouble. Elijah on top of the world. But discouragement wraps its fingers, cold fingers around his heart. And this helmet of salvation is to keep us from having uh, a discouragement, to be afraid during a time when we ought to be uh, feeling victorious, of being uh, fearful for our life when we ought to be trusting in God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13 Says, wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory we are to trust in God we are to rely upon Him we are to put on the helmet of salvation so we understand and know that we have uh, salvation in our life that we have the protection of God that God is continuing to work in us and through us and that God desires that we be victorious in the midst of battle, to overcome uh, being in despair, to overcome the feeling that we're all alone and in battle by ourselves when we know that God is for us. The helmet of salvation. There's so much more that we need to learn about this, and, and uh, we need to most of all know that despair has no place in the life of a Christian because the helmet of salvation. Let's join together for prayer. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we just pray that You would help us to understand and know that we are uh, have the helmet of salvation as part of our armor, that we have salvation in the past when we give our heart and life to You, in the present as You continue to, to redeem us. And in the future, when we'll be glorified. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that does not have your love within their life, and does not have your salvation, Lord, that they'll give their heart and life to you, that today will be the day in which they remember for the rest of their life as the day that they gave their heart and life to you. It can hearken back to that, this moment in their times of despair, in their time of difficulty and struggle.